This is an ABC podcast. This podcast contains offensive language and other cool stuff. The following work is a gross abuse of copyright. Names, places and events have been unchanged. I've done this with the firm belief that a king's story is more important than the literary regulations I flaunt. Todd Noy, Sao Paulo, 1991. This is Finding Drago. I'm Alexi Toliopoulos, and in the previous round of Finding Drago, it all began with a curious little book. I brought Cameron James, and I guess you all as well, into the mysterious world of Todd Noy, the author of Drago on Mountains We Stand, a novella that follows the life of Ivan Drago after the events of Rocky IV. On the very last page of the book, we discovered the About the Author section, which states that Australian author Todd Noy has been missing since 1992 and is presumed dead. But if Noy is dead, how is this brand spanking new copy of Drago on Mountains We Stand signed by him? And this is exactly where Cameron and I will continue our investigation on this episode of Finding Drago. So Cameron James, my very best friend mm. in comedy and in real life as well. I'm going to bestow that upon you today on the podcast. I'm coming out with it. I gave you a little task. I lent you the book, Drago on Mountains We Stand, which is affectionately known as Todd Noy's last great masterpiece. Mm-hmm. And I asked you to read it. Mm-hmm. Did you do that? I did. You did? I read it. I read it from cover to cover, which was good because it's very thin. Yes. Those covers are very close to each other. It's a slim read, uh, but it's great. It's it's better than I thought it was going to be. I've got to be honest. It's I've never read much fan fiction. Okay. Fan fiction. What do you mean? Well, I mean- This is a book. Yeah, about but Drago. It, it's not official. It's it's someone, Todd Noy has gone, I like the movie Rocky IV, I'm going to write some fan fiction about Drago. But fan fiction is like stuff that's written in forums. And, like, <laughs> and this is a book that exists. Okay, I can confirm officially this is a book, but that does not mean that it is an official book. The, the first page on this book which we've heard at the start of this podcast, is the author's note, which says the following work is a gross abuse of copyright. Mm-hmm. That means this is fan fiction. That means this is not canon. This is Todd Noy's fantastical writings about okay. Ivan Drago. Well, I've had lots of talks with Star Wars fans about what and what's not canon in my past, but this to me is canon in my heart. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, I was really not sure what to expect with this book, but mm. it's it's written in a pretty cool style. It's very blunt. It's very to the point. As we've already mentioned earlier, the chapters are often a page long. Or? Or half a page long. Sometimes a page has two or three chapters on there. (laughs) That's true. One chapter, chapter 54, Mm -hmm. 
if you must know. I know it well. <laughs> Do you know what chapter this is? I think I know what you're about to read me. <laughs> this is not even uh, part of the story. This chapter 54 is just the poem Invictus by William Ernest Henley yeah. from 1888. It's just a whole page of someone else's work. <laughs> well, it's I guess be- the book is similar to that in many ways <laughs> as well. It's quite nice. Um, I think it's a cool story. I like the idea of seeing what Ivan Drago is up to post Rocky Four. Do you think that it achieves what I think it achieves? Does this book humanise the character of Ivan Drago, who up until this point, as we've seen in the movies, is just this machine? I'm going to answer your question with a direct quote wow. from the novella. Allow me to close my eyes and soak it in. On Mountains We Stand. Chapter 8. Ivan Drago has never taken a moment to even consider who he was, what he believed. He'd always just done precisely as instructed, always to the highest possible standard. A machine, a workhorse, without distraction. It wasn't until Drago found himself in the Swiss Confederation on the shores of Lake Lucerne within sight of the mighty Rigi and Mount Pilatus that he came to a stop. He gazed across the vast, still lake as the morning sun began its ascent. Tears began to trickle down his otherwise impassive face. A lone soldier who felt tiny Neath the shadow of the mighty mountains. He raised his fists in defiance. I am Ivan Drago! That's cool shit, dude. Yeah, it's it's really already does much more work humanizing Ivan Drago than the entirety of mm. Rocky Four. Yeah. It's the quite first a cool paragraph, story. he gets dumped by his wife, who was, of course, played by... The wonderful Bridget Nielsen. In the film, Rocky Four. So, he she leaves him because she is also part of the collective that helped to build him. He's out there on his own. We're seeing Drago finally as a human. Yeah. And Todd Noy should... Be saluted. He should win all the prizes in the world if it were up to me for that. Which maybe brings us <laughs> rather gently to what we're going to be doing today on this podcast. Because this is called Finding Drago, but it may as well be called Noise Story. <laughs> Cameron, why don't we read that entire About the Author section once again to line up what we're going to be doing on this podcast today. Researching every little freaking clue that Todd Noy has left in his one-paragraph bio, <laughs> which is all the information we have in the entire world about him. About the author. Todd Noy was a Pulitzer Prize-winning sports journalist and novelist from Perth, Western Australia. He has written for VFL Weekly, The Guardian, and KO Magazine. His novels include Oko Dyke, House of Fuego, The Alabaster Wars, and... Drago. He was awarded an honorary degree from the University of New Delhi in 1984. Noy disappeared in January 1992 after a long battle with alcohol and drug addictions. Presumed dead, a memorial service was held in his honour in Perth in December 1995. He is survived by his two sons, Marlon and Quince, and long-term partner, English cellist, Elizabeth Harrington. 
<laughs> Quince. <laughs> <laughs> Marlon and Quince. Yes. Well, look, there's a lot of clues in this about the author section. We can really use this as a leaping off point for our gumshoe investigation. Why don't we look up some of the publications that he's... Yeah, yeah, that he's been a sports journalist for, much like Ray Barone, played by Ray Romano in the TV series Everybody Loves Raymond. Yeah. He's my favourite sports journalist, also the only one I've ever known. <laughs> All right. Can I get you to... Yeah. Have you got your laptop open? I've got my laptop open. Have you got that Google... I've got the Google app open on my laptop. <laughs> Todd Noyne was a Pulitzer Can you look up this publication for me? VFL Weekly. Australia. Okay, I've looked up VFL Weekly. VFL Weekly. It was just leading me to a VFL website. The first few links are all images... Of the book, Drago and Mountain We Stand. There's nothing. No articles? Nothing. Nothing there. Please. Well, maybe it just didn't have an online version. Why would they archive VFL Weekly <laughs> <laughs> online so oh. two schmoes in 20 years can find out about it? Yeah, that's actually not, that's not too crazy. <laughs> he has written for The Guardian. Search Todnoy The Guardian. No. The first thing that comes up is a PDF of Drago and Mounds We Stand. Mm. Everything is Drago and Mounds We Stand. And KO, KO magazine. magazine. Look that one up. Do you mean OK Magazine? The celebrity tabloid <laughs> mag? No, no. KO means knockout. KO Magazine was a popular United States boxing magazine. was first published in 1980 to compete with The Ring. Hopefully not the movie. Noi disappeared in January 1992. KO Magazine ceased publication following the acquisition. It's a dead end. It's a freaking dead end. Let's not write it out completely. This was my first introduction. Nothing comes up. It just brings us back to the Goodreads article. Todd Noy and the amazing body of work that he brought into the world. So one of the things that I have found is a Sports Illustrated article called What Happened to Ivan Drogo After He Lost to Rocky. Mm. It's written by Chris Chavez, who I guess is a sports journalist, his own damn self. And it- <laughs> a Ray Barone type. <laughs> Your regular Ray Barone type. <laughs> I wonder if his mother and wife give him gruff as well at home. I wonder if he lives across the street from his parents. Everybody loves Chris Chavez. <laughs> <laughs> But he says there's a 1989 book released on Drago by Todd Noy. In the book, Drago is disgraced and disowned. Oh, so they're mentioning Todd Noy in this Sports Illustrated. This Sports Illustrated article was written on July 10th, 2017. Well, that adds some legitimacy to it. Mm, this is recent stuff. Todd Noy's T-O-D-D. Yeah. I put Todd Noy in quotation marks. Who is this Todd? I've learned how to go masterpiece. Next, maybe we should look for the other books that he's written. Can you Google the first book title for me? His novels include Okadike. The Okadike is a small stream in the southeastern part of the city of Sheffield in South Yorkshire, England. Okay, okay, zoom in. It rises near Marsborough Moor Enhance. in what was originally Burley Wood, but is now a housing estate. Enhance, damn it! Okadike is a small stream in Sheffield. <laughs> so it's not, it's not a book. It's not a book, it's barely even a body of water. (laughs) Okay, alright, let's move on from that. House of Fuego? House of Fuego! Nothing. All I've got is Fuego Volcano Disaster. The next one is the The Alabaster Wars, 1981. Now, that is the one that I remember reading comments about. Oh. So this is from someone who posted this on the Drago or Mounds We Stand page. Still lacks the visceral energy of the Alabaster Wars. But all the same, a triumph of literature. 
At nearly 4,000 pages, it took some reading, but I'd never read anything like it. I still do not believe that Todnoy is no longer with us. So this is the opposite of Drago or Mounds We Stand, which is, <laughs> uh, you know, 87 pages. This is over five times that length. Over by one. So there's not really anything coming up with the Alabaster Wars. It leads me kind of back to those comments just about that book being a masterpiece. You know what? It says right here that he is a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist. Okay. That's Look a pretty that prestigious prize. It's kind of like the gold logie of journalism. On Pulitzer.org, they're an organisation, not just a .com. No search results for Todd Noy. Please modify search keyword. Just put Noy. Okay. There's no search results for Noy. All right. This Googling shit is leading us absolutely nowhere. <laughs> well, look, I mean, all right, why don't you go talk to a real journalist then? Yeah, are we in the freaking ABC? Why don't we think about that earlier? The place has got journalists flying out of its wazoo right now. <laughs> I'll go downstairs, talk to some journos about Todd Noyce if they know any. All right, look, while you're doing that, I have started getting a little bit interested in the world of fan fiction. I want to know why the hell people write it and why the freaking hell people read it. So I'm going to talk to a fan fiction expert who will maybe... Enlighten me somewhat. So, Rukmini Pandey, you are an academic at OP Jindal Global University in Delhi and a genuine, bona fide expert in the world of fan fiction. For some of our listeners out there, and I'm also including myself in that, can you give us a broad definition of what fan fiction is? Sure. Fan fiction, in essence, is any kind of narrative expansion of a existing fictional universe. So it could be both professional and kind of personal. Uh, there are a lot of, you know, the Sherlock Holmes series has had a lot of published work that expands the universe there. And that's, you know, that's official fan fiction, I suppose. And that would be something like the Star Wars expanded universe as well, which is made official by the copyright owners of that franchise. And of course, there's fan fiction as it is seen, uh, which is unofficial, which is hosted on a variety of websites such as Archive of Our Own or Wattpad.com or, you know, there are many, many websites where fans will write their own stories based on a character or a series and, you know, just put it up there for free to share it among a fan community. What made you so interested in fan fiction? Where did that come from? Uh, well, I was in fan fiction communities, uh, you know, as a participant uh, from, you know, really my undergrad years. And then I started to think about what it means to have these very large uh, transnational transcultural communities that come together over certain texts and produce these millions of words and, you know, not just words, actually, I mean, audio with fan video. And as somebody who came from literature, I was really interested to see how universes can be expanded and what does that tell us about how people respond to texts. Now, you've, you've danced around it a little bit here. You've said your participation. Just 
let me know. Did you write fan fiction, Rook Meaning? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, absolutely. What? I wasn't very good at it, which is why I stopped. <laughs> you just moved into the academia of it. So what were you writing fan fiction of? Uh, are you E.L. James? Did you write the Twilight fan fiction? Oh, I wish. I wish. <laughs> that, that worked out very well. That worked out well for, for her. What it, kind of fan fiction were you writing? Oh, I was writing fanfic about anime, <laughs> a really old, obscure one called Ways Cruise, which was about florist assassins, <laughs> you know. And of course, I continue to engage with fan fiction. You know, it's very hard not to, when you, you know, watch an Avengers movie and you decide what else could happen. Yeah. And then you have this whole narrative universe to play in. So um, I tend to read more uh, because, you know, people are better at writing it than me. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, 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 I totally wrote. <laughs> and you are like, you're the expert. Have you ever come across Rocky fan fiction before? I have not, which is, I mean, I was really interested when you uh, referred to this section of fan fiction and fan works around Rocky because it's not, I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan myself of the franchise. I've watched, uh, you know, all the movies. Uh, I'm really looking forward to Creed 2. Yeah, me too. And I wonder if there'll be kind of a resurgence of that interest. I'm with you. I've never even considered that you could write a version of Rocky. I mean, it's about two guys punching each other. What are the stories that have the most fan fiction written about them? Um, Star Trek is considered one of the primary kind of texts. Star Trek zines were publishing fan fiction from the 70s onwards. So that's seen to be one of the kind of longest running fan fiction fandoms. The more open a text is, uh, it is theorized that the more fans want to engage and play in that sandbox. All right, let's get let's get a little deeper. Tell me about the people that read fan fiction. Who are these people? You're obviously one of them. <laughs> Why do you read fan fiction? Oh, uh, well, as to who reads fan fiction, I mean, everyone. <laughs> Anyone who engages in fan communities, of course, demographically from what we know, from how we studied the community over the years, it is mostly uh, women, a lot of queer women who are in these communities, but there are lots of people of other genders, sexualities, um, nationalities. I grew up in India and I engaged with it, you know, while I was doing my undergraduate studies. And I have plenty of friends who, you know, were also reading fan fiction. I have young students uh, that I teach right now that are also reading it. You know, that's in Delhi. You know, people around the world are reading and writing fan fiction in, in their own languages. So they're really, you know, it's very hard to say who exactly reads it. There's such a broad variety of people. And as to why they do it, it's, it is literally being obsessed and being, you know, really nerdy and geeky about a particular uh, popular cultural text and wanting to do more with it, you know, wanting to push at its boundaries. Well, this book that we've got, uh, the Ivan Drago story on Mountains We Stand. Yes. I've read it. It's pretty well written. This person, Todd Noy, is clearly a very good writer. I want to know why don't these 
writers just try to write and publish their own original stories? Why do they work within the boundaries of other people's imaginations? Uh, I think it's not mutually exclusive. A lot of, uh, you know, a lot of people who write in fan fiction also write original stories. Sometimes it's about creating a sense of representation that isn't there in the original text. Sometimes it's about thinking, uh, you know, what if there was a Hindu Harry Potter or what if, you know, what happens when you are a Jewish person in Hogwarts? There's a lot to be said about how these fictional universes are constructed and how they can be challenged or expanded by readers. And that, I think, is the pleasure of fan fiction. I, you know, there is a impression that fan fiction writers do it because they're not very good or because, you know, they don't have the imagination to construct their own work. But I think that's a little reductive because there is so much creativity that goes into these. Sometimes it's about, I want to work through what this character could be, you know. So for Ivan Drago, I would imagine that it would be about you know, what is this war machine that is being built in this Cold War, uh, you know, Russian idea of constructing the perfect killing machine, really? And, you know, kind of thinking about what could be the deeper psychological aspects of it. So it's a lot of kind of deconstructing those ideas and looking at flat characters like Ivan Drago and, you know, trying to think about what makes them tick. Do most people write under pseudonyms? Is that common in fan fiction world? Oh, yes. Yes, yes. Most people will write under pseudonyms. Why is that? A copyright, a lot of the time. Uh, I mean, fan fiction is, under US law, it is protected under fair use uh, because it's seen as transformative work. But it is still open to being cracked down upon by people who, who think sometimes that it is some kind of infringement on uh, their narrative universes. Uh, a lot of writers don't actively prosecute it because, again, it's part of fan community and it actually helps them. Uh, but some some have uh, been quite upset about how people take their characters and what they do with them. And when I when I started out, people used to be really careful about kind of divorcing their identities uh, from their fandom activities. Possibly because fans are sometimes seen as weird, you know, and seen as overinvested. Uh, and, uh, you know, so that obviously is something that people are aware of. Uh, but I think that uh, that has changed. Uh, you know, people are now much more willing to identify themselves um, as fans. As fans. Mm. Yeah, as fans and as people who, you know, yeah, who may be by normative standards a little bit weird, but, you know, <laughs> who engage in, in these communities and produce some pretty good stuff. All right. Thank you so much for talking to me, Rukmini. You were Thank absolutely you so delightful and a pleasure. Thank you so much. I'm glad this was useful and best of luck for your continuing search. Oh, I love Rukmini. You know what I find interesting? Rukmini thinks that this could be someone working through their issues with Drago. Now, Alexi, you yourself have some issues with Ivan Drago. Cameron, I think I know what you're suggesting, but Rukmini also said that people that write fan fiction like to put representation of themselves in there. Mm -hmm. So if I were to rewrite a Rocky story... It would also have the premise of, what if Rocky was Greek? <laughs> it wouldn't be that different. It'd be pretty similar. Yeah, maybe instead of punching slabs of beef, it'd be punching plates. <laughs> 
punching goddamn Dolmatis. Can I say this stuff? <laughs> anyway, Cameron, while you were doing that, I went looking for some journalists and look who I found. I feel like I've hit a jackpot right now. I've got Tracy Holmes. She's a longtime sports broadcaster and journalist. Check out her CV. She's presented Grandstand. Oh, yeah. News Radio. Mm-hmm. You can hear her every Sunday on the tickets. Tracy, you've worked in and outside of the ABC since 1989. First of all, what was the world of sports journalism like back then? I was thinking back about my early days here. Yeah. So I came here as a sports trainee broadcaster, which was like a two-year kind of internship. And you learned from the best, you know, all, all those great names that people still talk about. Yeah. Jim Maxwell, oh, cricket, yeah. you know, Jerry mm. Collins commentated, I don't know how many swimming gold medals at mm. the Olympic Games. Mm. Uh, Norman May was around. He'd always <sighs> pop in. I was lucky enough to go and train under the great George Grilyzich from WA, who, along with Benny Pike, um, had some of the best boxing commentary you are ever likely to hear. Really? So you knew, like, boxing commentaries from WA back in the 80s? Yeah. KO Magazine, ever heard of that? Yeah, Yeah. Boxing Magazine. Boxing Mag, yeah. It's now defunct. Yeah. And the Guardian? Like boxing, almost. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) UFC killed it. No, no, no. I like boxing. Yeah. I do, and I don't. I can't explain why. You know, yeah. one of the earliest sports I had to go and cover was boxing, mm. and I remember the first time I turned up at this bout, and there was just blood being sprayed everywhere. And I thought, this is a point. I don't think I can sit here any longer. And then I sort of had this realization: these guys, no one's forcing them to be there. Yeah. They want to be there. This is such a battle of mental wills. And so I've been a bit of a fan, even though I can't justify the fact that in 2018, Mm. I don't think two people should be hopping into a square Mm. and bashing each other's brains out. But but there's something tribal about it. Mm. Yeah, it taps in you, in your primal place. So you knew like boxing commentaries from WA back in the 80s. Yeah. Did you know Todd Noy? No. Really? Todd Noy, he's a, he wrote about boxing, VFL in the 80s, sports journalist. How? No. How? I, no, sorry. How could I not know about him? He's, what's he done? He's he used written- to write for KO magazine and uh, he's a, a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist from The Guardian, I think, as well. Yeah, from The Guardian He as mainly well. covered boxing. Uh, he's a WA journalist. Have you heard of VFL Weekly? No. Mm. Writing for VFL Weekly. He also he won a Pulitzer. Yeah, <laughs> maybe is maybe that, it was for the Guardian or something else. Is that rare? Well, I also think it's highly unlikely because I think the first Australian to win a Pulitzer was two thousand and six, wasn't it? Oh, oh, our guy's been missing since nineteen ninety two. Geraldine been... Brooks was the first. I think there's only been two. And was that for sports journalism? Uh, no. So, have okay, have there been any Look, sports journalists win Pulitzers? I think many should have. I agree with yeah, you. I agree. <laughs> I absolutely agree, 100%. And, and I think sports journalists yeah. around the world, they are some of the great writers. Yeah, yeah. Ray Barone is our favourite sports journalist. Is he? Mm. Is yeah, he? from Everyone Loves Raymond. <laughs> Glamorises a lifestyle a lot on that show, though. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back to WA. I'm, yeah, I'm WA. curious about that. So, you were... Working in WA, what time? What what years are we talking? Oh, so this is uh, eighty nine, ninety. That sounds around. Uh, That's around Noy's time. Mm-hmm. Noy disappeared in January nineteen ninety two after a long battle with alcohol and drug addictions. Presumed dead, a memorial service was held in his honour in Perth in December nineteen ninety five. Doesn't ring any bells, but you know, 
having lived and worked in Perth, and so I was at everything that was there from World Swimming Championships yep. um, to the cricket to uh, the AFL to whatever was happening, I never remember his name coming up. Like right. in press boxes anywhere, or mm. and you know you you talk with everybody, you get to yeah. know everybody. Yeah. It's the scene. Whether they're you know Ken Sutcliffe or um, you know Jacqueline Magna and Karen Ty were were there <laughs> around those times. Ray Hadley, Bruce McAvaney. Uh-huh. What about at a premiere for like a Rocky movie or anything? Would you have seen? <laughs> would you have remembered him there? Do you like Rocky? I do actually. So do I. I think they're the best sports movies ever. What about Ivan Drago? I love Ivan. Drago. Would you maybe love Ivan Drago enough to have written a book about Ivan Drago? Sure. Are, Are you, you Todd, Todd Noy? Noy? <laughs> <laughs> Is it you? Have we found you? And you have to be honest. <laughs> you have to tell us the truth. Are you Todd Noy? Do I look like Todd Noy? Well, no. we haven't got have a photo got of him. Pulitzer hanging around my neck. <laughs> That's I wish true. I was Todd Noy. That's he true. sounds like some kind of genius. He Well, apparently he is. I can't find any information about this guy. And there was no archived articles of his for VFL Weekly or KO Magazine, anything. I honestly thought you were going to be the key. Yeah. Look, I'm really sorry. I'm so sorry to disappoint you. Um, but it's also got me intrigued now. I just Do you think there would have been many journalists who focused almost exclusively on boxing in that time? Or would there not have been no, enough work for them? No, there wouldn't have been enough work for them. Okay. Although, you know, Noi, Noi mm. yeah. might have been independently wealthy. Oh, that's something we might have yeah. run off with all his money. Okay. Might not be dead at all. Well, we might think that he might not be because <laughs> this book is brand new and he went missing in the 90s and the book is signed by him. <laughs> <laughs> so we think he might still be out there and that's what we're doing. We're on the search for Todd Noi. Why? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) This is absolutely crazy to me right now. It's not so. Because we just found someone who should have known Todd Noy. Yeah, she's a sports journalist. Yes. She's from Perth. Yes. She covered boxing. Yes. At the same time that Todd Noy allegedly did. And she's never heard of the guy. They would have been in the same circles. They should have been best friends. Tracy and Noy. Tracy and Noy. I feel like we know less than when we started even. Like, listeners, here's something that you don't know about. We actually called up the Pulitzers to see if Mm -hmm. they had any, like, listing of Todd Noy somewhere as a Pulitzer Prize winner. And, well, what happened? They literally hung up on us. They hung up the phone. (laughs) We called them. We had to come in early to work one day to call them. (laughs) They hung up the phone on us. So, first of all, it's like, okay, what are they hiding? Mm -hmm. But then also, it's just further, another dead end. We know nothing about Todd Noy. The only evidence we have about this guy is this book that we're holding. We have a physical copy of a book, and that's the best evidence we have. So, I'm going to go back to freaking basics. I'm going to leave the building. I'm going to go out of the building to a place that I know in Sydney, Australia, that by law has to keep all the books by Australian authors in there. I'm talking about the State Library. Okay. They have to keep every Australian book there. Even if they are criminal, they have to have the books by the authors in the Library of Australia State Library. Is that true? Yeah, that's true. They have to have them in there. How do you know that? (laughs) Well, 
if you must know, I remember seeing an episode of A Current Affair, like probably 20 years ago, that has stuck in my brain, uh-huh. where people of the local community up in arms are very pissed off that the State Library had many books written by grubby Australian pedophiles oh about God. their crimes and what they are interested in and invested in and the community was pissed off at the library said it's not our fault we have to have them because they're Australian authors we oh have God. to have them we can't do anything about it so it was a current affair roasting the libraries about it and they had to have them in their walls so Todd Noy's an Australian author the state library like we're just following your orders <laughs> that sounds familiar <laughs> by another state well, here's what I'm going to do. What are you going to do? I'm going to go out into the world yes. and I'm going to find Todd Doyle. Yes. I'm going to go to the State Library. Yes. I'm going to wear a freaking wire. You don't know. I'm going to get them on tape admitting that Todd Noy is out there. He's still out there. You don't have to wear a wire. I'm going to do all that and more on the very next episode of Finding Drago. That was round two of Finding Drago. This series is produced by me, Alexi Toliopoulos. Presented and created by me and Cameron James. And featuring Ben Russell as the voice of Todd Noy. Our theme music is by Luca Baroni-Peters. Production and sound engineering by Bryce Halliday. Our consulting producer is Anna Bronowski. And our executive producer is Tom Wright. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app. Hey, it's it's Ray Barone. And Todd Noy is my favourite sports journalist. Oh, Deborah. My name is Ivan Drago and you are listening to Finding Drago.